Hi, friends. You may have noticed it's been two weeks since the last episode, or maybe not. There's a lot happening. But because there is a lot happening, we have decided to cut back releasing episodes to once every two weeks. Is that bi-weekly or is bi-weekly two times a week? I don't know. Anyway, releasing an episode once every two weeks will allow me and Eleanor and the producing team to spread our focus onto other projects like the drink-alongs that will hopefully live under this umbrella. It will help me stay on top of episodes and early releases for the Patreon, and it will allow me to do more fun extras for the Patreon. And speaking of the Patreon, we have a new producer-level patron to welcome to the horny little community. A big shout out and a hearty welcome to Sean McStravick, who joins the ranks of Alyssa Matthews, Hallie Alsba, Hannah Grierson, Grace Kent, Krista Umberforth, Chandler Parrott-Thomas, and Dante Tapo. If you want to be like these folks and support the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash thatdoitforyapod to learn more. We are so appreciative of Sean and all our amazing patrons who make this show possible. Also available on our Patreon this week is audio transcriptions of this episode. These are free to all and you do not have to be a patron to access them. Transcriptions of all our episodes are coming soon. So again, that's patreon.com slash thatdoitforyapod, no purchase necessary. I think that's all I have to say. So without further ado, episode 18, The Parent Thirst Trap with Emily. Hawks. Do you want to rub on Simba's tummy? Or think that Spider-Man looks extra yummy? The pain of childhood is super funny. On Did That Do It For Ya? With Aurelia Grierson. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Do It For Ya, the sexual awakenings podcast about why we're like this. I am here with the incredible Emily Hawks. Emily Hawks, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Very good. You know, we were just talking about how I slept too late and absolutely ruined my day. Totally. I don't understand how people can sleep till like noon and then be like having a day. Like, I'm just not, that's not me. I know. Meanwhile, like, I got so drunk last night without <laughs> meaning to. I just, I drank like a couple ciders and was like, I have the spins. And then I had to nanny at like 7.30 this morning. No! Yeah, so I was super sleepy. Was there an occasion or were you just like <laughs> well, falling out? I, well, Sydney, you know Sydney, yeah. um, is going home for a week to celebrate her birthday. So I was like, I want to buy you a birthday drink. But then we were like, we're in a global pandemic. So um, <laughs> I was like, just come over to my house and we'll just drink outside. Great. Because um, we've been like hanging out and stuff and oh that's wonderful but yeah like we uh we became friends because we happened to be in like all the same classes a couple years ago just by coincidence and then we started watching Buffy together oh. and we finally because I had never seen it and it's her favorite show and then we finally finished it like three months ago maybe like right before COVID <laughs> yeah now we just watch documentaries together that's, that's great what was I gonna say oh yeah did you listen to our Buffy episode no I haven't yet I was just listening to Amber's king of egypt one because yes. i also love that movie oh god it's truly i mean i say it in the podcast but it is the best movie ever <laughs> that's really good i remember my mom like renting it at blockbuster and being like this movie is a good influence and it's beautiful and it's like religious so check all her boxes that's i'm glad i'm glad i mean as like as a person of jewish persuasion i always like feel a little weird about christians being like and this is also our story because i'm like mm, that is it <laughs> that's always a little bit how i feel well and i think it was like 
I mean, I told you I was raised super Christian and like, don't vibe with that anymore. Um, but I think it was just like, I had watched all the veggie tales. Yeah. So they were like, here is the last option. <laughs> Not enough religious children shows, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, listen, the Prince of Egypt is so beautiful and everyone should see it and everyone can identify with it. Egypt. I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. So, <laughs> Emily, how do we know each other? Well, the first memory I have of you is, um, being in theater foundations, which for <laughs> which for non-SOU people, it's just like this uh, stupid entry class that like freshmen have to take at SOU to like become acquainted with the department. And Aurelia was a transfer and was like, I shouldn't have to take this because I like know how things work and I know how resumes work and stuff. And they were like, you have to anyway. Bullshit. It was bullshit. <laughs> and I literally do not. Everyone said you were there the whole time. Like you skipped all the time, but everyone was like, oh, Aurelia's been here since the beginning but I don't remember seeing or knowing you at all until you like got up on stage and Chris made you do like a tremor in front yes. of everyone like a dolphin or mermaid tremor yes and I was like who is that person like I have never seen that person before <laughs> no no I just think and then you were like in the BFA so you were like famous and so oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's funny I remember that exact moment I have another funny story from Theater Foundations. Whenever I think about Theater Foundations, I think about the morning that came to talk. Who could forget that morning? Yeah, so she came and I was like in the pre-FA and I was like nervous about not getting in, but I had gotten really drunk the night before and I was really hungover and I had to leave lecture to go throw up in the music building bathroom. Ooh. And I was like, I remember like crying to my boyfriend at the time. I remember crying and being like, oh my God, like this means I'm not gonna get in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can just piss her off and work. This is like so, like everyone oh, will know who we're talking no, about. I, for every like 40 minute episode of yeah. this podcast, I have to cut out about like 20 minutes of shit talking. And I always instigate it. I always start it. And I know. It's just, I mean, sometimes I'm like, we gossip too much in the theater department. Like it's poisonous. But then I'm like, we have no other outlet. There's no outlet. To put on student work like <laughs> it's interesting I think I've been I've been through three training programs and then done two professional residencies type things and I can say for a fact that I've encountered abuse at every training program I've been in the abuse is tenfold for students of color always and that gossiping is uh you know if you're going to eat this particular shit sandwich of being in an arts career, that's your olive. Yeah. No, yeah. And until like the power structures of this particular industry are dismantled, that's kind of going to kind of going to be like the 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 avenue where frustrations are able to be released. Yeah. And I mean, I guess like on that note, when I think about the first moment that I was made aware of you in the SMU theater department, it was while I was planning horse girls my first independent project I don't I don't like exactly remember what it was I saw you do yeah or like maybe I just like saw you exist in the world or like had a conversation with you well I think this is how it happened I was really good friends with Delaney and yes you were neighbor yes maybe that was it I just had kind of gotten to know you yeah. Yeah. We really talked a couple of times. We talked a couple of times and I thought that you were just very like fun and had a unique speaking voice. <laughs> and, truly. And thought that you fit so well in the project that I wanted to do. And so I think like 
perhaps sight unseen, I was like, it would be in this thing. Well, that really launched a whole last relationship. <laughs> the best decision of my career so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it was so amazing. I remember I had like flown home to see my parents for like a week or something. And then I flew back and I was like, time to memorize my lines because we're going to be like off book on September 1st. I was like very like uptight about that. <laughs> no, and you, well, you should have been because that's yeah. what shocked me is I was like, I was asked to be in this like first thing I'm in at SOU because I auditioned for showcases and didn't get in. All I did was improv, which I loved. But I that was where I first saw you then. I was going to say it probably was like an improv show. I saw you do an improv show and I was like, oh, she's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I saw you do improv and I was like, oh, she's really funny. She needs to be in my comedy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, thank God, because that really, I mean, not only did it get me into the pre FA, like literally did it like taught me a lot. It helped me realize this pattern, which is that for the first half of any project or class, I'm like, I'm the worst person in the room. And I like journal about it all the time. And I'm like, I don't deserve to be here. And then in like the last section, I'm like, Oh, I got it. Like happened to me in the pre-FA and like every term in the BFA and stuff. And I, when I finally looked back on it, I was like, oh, that happened in Horse Girls. Cause I was just surrounded by like so many amazing folks. I just like uh, Chandler is fucking hilarious and Savannah and Grace is so like elegant. And I just was like, I, what am I doing here? Like, I think I was, I mean, you obviously like made such an impression on me during Horse Girls because of like the fact that it was such a wide range of like experiences in that room and you held your fucking own. Like I never, I never once thought that you were the weakest in the room. I don't really (laughs) believe in that kind of thing. Like I don't really think about it in those terms. Um, Well, I don't think about that you know, when I'm leading an improv team or when we're doing readings together, I never think like, well, that person's the worst, but it just, <laughs> it's just our own imposter like, yeah. syndrome. Exactly. And it's like, I mean, I just, every single person in the Horse Girls cast was perfect and just like worked together so well. And I just remember feeling like there were a couple moments where that casting could have gone differently. And not that I think that would have been bad necessarily, but like, it really felt like fate. Yeah. That the show that launched uh this amazing (laughs) creative relationship because I think you more than anyone else I've ever met understands the kind of art I want to make and why I want to make it and that's why you are my artistic producer of our company Juvenalia. You're telling me I just I think it's all like a coincidence I mean I think you're right that it's fate like I believe in that Oh, yeah. But like, I remember when we did our typing conversation, a bunch of people were like, I didn't think this was my type. And I was like, I know what my type is. It's just me. Like, I am a babysitter. I am a daughter. I am like a nerd and like a virgin type. Like, I just think it speaks to like, I'm sorry, I knew I was going to do this is like, I just go off on so many different. That's okay. A free associator, but I go to this like, uh, (laughs) like Aquafit class at a senior's gym. And the other day I like got too overheated and I had to leave the pool and everyone was like, are you okay? And then the next week I was like, oh, I just have really bad periods. And it just makes me like fucking physically freak out because having a vagina is the worst. And everyone started talking about like, oh, this is the age I got menopause or like, this is how my body changed after I had kids. And I was like, this is so cool because it's just a group of people who have all had similar experiences and it didn't feel like we had to like lower our voices or be like considerate of any like people with penises in the room. Like 
And so that's how I feel about projects you do is I'm like, I feel like we can all freely like talk about things. Oh yeah. We're never being quiet for the penises in the room. No, like even during Margaret, I think I was like, oh, Scott and I like changed pants. You did. I remember that. I remember thinking in my head, like, what are you doing? Stop. This is like an older man. And then I was like, oh yeah, there's nothing you know, and yeah. I've told you before, like, oh, Scott is like one of the only male actors where I'm like, everything is fun. And- yeah, I think what Margaret taught me, which was super interesting, is that like, I have to be much more aware of the kind of men I let into the artistic mm-hmm. space. Oh, yeah. Because um, like, I wanted to do Horse Girls because of the, that was my first experience working with an all women yeah. in them room back when I did it at Fordham mm-hmm. I was like oh this is an experience that was so like critical to my creativity that like I want to make sure like I can give that to other people and then as soon as I let men in the room for Margaret like even even the the worst experiences I've had with women or femme actors is nothing compared to the bad experience like the kind of bad experiences I've had with male actors and like cis yeah. male actors like to clarify and yeah. like that experience I won't name names but was just so frustrating and I felt like there was just communication barriers that couldn't be broken and there was just a, a huge just like lack of consideration and like what it made me realize is that like I don't really like the idea of like training people to to be in like a male dominated workplace like I would so much rather create an environment of gentleness and of consideration where like you can say sorry as many times as you like and not be judged for that like I just don't think I hate that I don't think people say sorry enough <laughs> and of course there's moments where I say sorry that I don't need to be sorry right just it means a lot to me where if someone comes to me with an issue like there's humility on both sides and like an eagerness to like consider other people's emotions and make space for them whereas I feel like in the situations I've been in with male creators is like oh you don't want to make space for my feelings or anyone else's are you drinking wine yes I love that for you um now that we have discussed that, um, Emily, would you like to talk about why we're here today? Yes, I've been wanting to talk about the parent trap and the effect it had on me for so long. Like, I think about things to put in my biography all the time. So this is draft one of that. <laughs> okay, so I like, right before I got on this call with you, was finishing up watching The Parent Trap. And I, when you said that this is what you wanted to talk about, I got so excited. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to rewatch this immediately. So I have some thoughts, but I'm more curious about what, like, what was your experience watching this when you watched it as a, as a young person? And what did it for you? Well, let me tell you, it was a visceral experience. So my mom had just gotten remarried to my stepdad. So I had this whole new side of the family. And so I was spending my day with my new aunt and we decided to watch The Parent Trap, which I don't think I had seen before at that point. I think it was my first time. And we were like laying on the couch, <laughs> like, cause I was like small, I was like seven or eight and like almost like spooning, but not in a weird way. <laughs> but <laughs> like, I don't know how things work. I'm an only child, so I have like no physical um, frame of reference for anything. So we're like laying on the couch and the scene where they take her clothes and she's like naked in the water. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it was like my first uh, like anxiety attack. I don't know. Like 
my stomach was like in knots and I was like sweating and I was like, does my aunt know? Like, can she tell? Like my whole body was tense and I was like, can she tell that I'm like so uncomfortable? And I couldn't figure out like why it made me so uncomfortable. And then when I was like 12, I, I read a book and the first chapter something similar happened. These people like take these boys clothes and they're like stuck naked. And I had to go to the bathroom and like dry heave. Like I was so anxious. And then when you launched this podcast, I was like, hmm, what was my like first thing? And then I was like, oh, it was that because I found it like kinky and sexy. <laughs> And now when I watch it, I'm like, this is weird because they're children. Like, that's not what it's about to them. But at that similar age, I was like, if that happened to me, I would just be like so shamed. And now I'm like, oh, it's like public humiliation, which is like a fetish, which I don't have to be clear. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with it. No, of course not. Not kink shame. And I have other kinks, but that's not one of them. So I don't know why it affected me so I wonder, like, because I, because watching back, I kind of had some thoughts about like my experience watching this movie growing up, and like, yeah. kind of, and it's interesting because like you were kind of closer to eleven, which is the age that the twins are. Right. Um, yes, so like it does make total sense that like seeing a naked person who like is cute, like Lindsay Lohan was yeah. like when you're like eleven, like between ages eight and twelve, you're like, oh yeah, Lindsay Lohan's very cute in that movie. And, and like that nudity probably just was like, oh, like halted you. It it was because I could put myself in that position so easily. Like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put myself in the position of like the mean girls who took her clothes. I was like, this is going to happen to me someday. Associated with the bullied. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably because I was being bullied or something. But um, yeah, so that was, I guess it wasn't necessarily like positive. But it's kind of nice to like know the reason. But like now I'm like, oh, the reason I felt that way is because I had like a new strange adult woman like watching it with me. It's like watching like a sex scene with your parents, right? Like, yeah. And I didn't know her very well. And I just was like, I feel so weird about this. I think I had to like stop watching. You were like, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, I think I was like, I have to go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> Well, that's so interesting because I think there are other, like, I remember watching this movie growing up. It was a couple of things. Like, I was very close with my sister growing up. And my mm-hmm. sister, I may have to, I'm going to say something and I may have to cut out. But she doesn't like <laughs> listen, but like, I, I, my sister was like obsessed with stories about like girls. Like mm. stories that like, I think stories that I like to put up in my work now. And I've actually, I've thought, I've wondered about this correlation because my relationship with my sister has kind of gone through lots of journeys um, from very close when we were young to very difficult when we were in our teens. Mm. And then again, now we're close again. And I think like watching her as like a role model when I was younger and just like everything she liked, I wanted to like, and So a lot of the things that I, like a lot of the culture that I absorbed, and my parents are like both hippies. They're not like showing us anything culturally that's exciting to us. They're like into the Grateful Dead and like smoking pot. And so we're like, okay, like it's kind of up to us to find our own culture. So every pop culture thing I absorbed came from my sister. And I don't know where she was getting it from, but she was obsessed with like stories about like 
girls in their tweens and teens like she was like these this is her vibe and I think in Parent Trap was one of these things that we would watch a lot because she was like really obsessed with like Lindsay Lohan in the in this movie and like just the hijinks that these two would get into and (laughs) she always like she always got like like whether it was Mary Kate and Ashley or the babysitters club or anything she took the tomboy character and she liked the one who was more like edgy masculine then she made me be the Pris (laughs) so she was Hallie and I was Annie which is like fine because Annie has really cute clothes yeah Uh, and doesn't she have that sick like English accent yeah yeah the sick English accent but like something that I remember feeling about watching these movies is that there is sexuality in it particularly from Meredith and particularly from the butler and the nanny who are both gay but we'll get I don't want to talk about that just yet but we'll get there but I remember feeling kind of weird feelings about Meredith and the way that she was sexual in the world and like the way that was villainized and like as a kid I was like yeah she's the bad guy but now watching it I'm like "Mm, she has a point well and it's funny because she is so villainized for like wanting to get married and not take care of kids that aren't hers and then the her alternative oh god what's her name it's not Emma Thompson but the Natasha the mom yeah yeah the biological mom is like a wedding designer I know (laughs) so I'm like you didn't really do like the opposite like no one is just like stuck up and one's down to earth Uh, truly and like honestly I feel like because like she's supposed to be like this gold digger type yeah but like Dennis Quaid's character is hot a not that old b like so she's supposed to be like 26 and i'm guessing he's like early 40s yeah i mean if if i uh, i'm 27 so like watching this like as like kind of the same age as meredith i'm like if i met like a guy who looked like dennis quaid who had made a fortune in wine so first of all romantic beautiful house beautiful man yeah i'm like uh yeah like fuck yeah like I get where Meredith is coming from when you watch it in your 20s you're like ah the goal (laughs) and I can see how she would be like I don't really want this like 11 year old that hates me and like it's so much different when you have a biological parent in your life like divorce movies and books are so interesting and they're just so against her from the start. Yeah, I, I wondered actually, as you said, because you your mom had just remarried and you're mm-hmm. watching this movie about- I know, yeah. Do you think that like influenced your feelings about it at all or? No, because for me, it was really different because I never grew up with a biological dad. Like mm-hmm. he's not in my life at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always remember the moment of the movie where she says dad and she's like, dad, dad, dad. And he's like, why do you keep saying it so much? And she's like, I just haven't like gotten to say it. I was like, oh, I've literally never called anyone dad. Oh. And like, now my stepfather is like my dad, like he's adopted me and he's like super my dad. And I remember when I started calling him dad and when I just got adopted a couple months ago, I was like, you're officially my dad. Like dad, dad, dad. Like, sweet. oh my gosh. I love that. And yeah. So I couldn't identify with that part and I'm an only child. So I was like, I just want like a cool playmate. This would be fun. But oh God. The hijinks of those two. Like, I know. And um, I know you have such a camp bend. Uh-huh. Like, you know, <laughs> I've never been to camp and just the fucking music. The, oh, the Like, I'm like, camp! Oh, yeah, this movie kind of has like two parts that are somehow like both equally amazing. Yes. 
exactly and the camp part I was always like I just want to go to camp and fucking eat Oreos with peanut butter I think it appeals to both kids and adults in a well done way Mm -hmm. like it holds up it holds up reboot it soon oh please no it was technically already a reboot because they did the the original which is fine is in a shocking amount of reboots i know she anyway but like that's so interesting about the thing about the dad because i my dad died when i was eight and my mom remarried a woman um because my parents divorced when i was like two so i like do not remember their divorce Um, my dad was like a part of our lives before yeah. Um, he died, but like, I think I've spent like a ridiculous amount of my life, like looking for father figures. I wonder if one of the reasons my sister particularly resonated with this movie is because mm-hmm. she had much a richer supply of memories about my father and like definitely like wanted a dad in a conventional way, in a way that I never really kind of needed yeah. in the same way. But so interesting like she this movie just like makes me think of my sister so much and just like how I was watching the first like in the camp part of this movie even before they realize that they're siblings they pick on each other like sisters do so funny (laughs) the escalating pranks (laughs) and everyone that around them is like you look exactly and they're like no (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh and the terrible uh I want to ask Tapa what he thinks of this sword fight Oh my god, yes. Um, the like fall into the water. I think the water was also a weird part because she goes in the water and she's like dripping wet. And I remember <laughs> also being like, do I like this? Like weird. But <laughs> I think also the draw is that the parents are like so archetypal in a way because mm-hmm. the dad is like rugged and they ride horses and they like eat so much all the time and just have like a dog and the mom literally designs like fairy tales and you get to like snuggle with her in her big bed and stuff like I think they just idealized both parents a lot so I was like and I wasn't I never really had like a hate my stepdad phase I just was like this is weird and new and I'm gonna do Jerry for a while so (laughs) (laughs) so I was like oh I want a dad like this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah well there's something also just incredibly bougie about this movie like there is no like financial struggle of these people whatsoever like these people are wonder why couldn't you fly them back and forth yeah their their arguments about that are really (laughs) odd but like just the pure like I mean both of these people are like in like are successful at what they do both of the things they do are incredibly romantic. Yes. And just, it's like from the very like opening shot of this movie to the last shot of this movie is just pure bourgeoisie. Like just they meet on the boat and they have their beautiful wedding on the boat. Just like the beautiful Mm -hmm. texture of both of these worlds, like both like kind of old money. And like, you can tell like with the grandpa, there's like some old money going on there. And then like the nouveau riche of the California, like both Mm -hmm. of these families are really wealthy. And I'm so curious, like what it would have been if one of the families wasn't like what if like one of the twins was living in the lap of luxury and the other was like poor I hadn't thought about that like a princess and the pauper thing totally I mean that yeah that is like what that movie is isn't it yeah because aren't they like twins I can only go off the Barbie version the Barbie version is what I was gonna say I'm really why is it the princess it's like the prince and the pauper yeah no but the princess and the Barbie version I'm yeah just, just like me <laughs> yeah that. they're like identical and they swap places yeah. um 
I don't know but if they're related though or if that was just coincidence. And also, how do you send your kid across the Atlantic uh, to yeah, an American camp and it just happens to be the same camp? Like, well, like Camp Walden also then, like, my experience at summer camp was in Southern Oregon and right. was not bougie like that. Like, my camp was, like, pretty working class. Yeah. Like, it was like a Girl Scout camp sponsored through the YMCA. It was it had a very Christian edge. I was the only Jewish kid there. Which like both of my parents went to like Jewish sleepaway camp. So like they yeah. <laughs> their experiences with camp are different. Yeah. But again, even there, like my stepmom was like Canarsie Brooklyn Jew working yeah. class. Her dad was a cop. Oh, very interesting. My stepmom is like the most lesbian of lesbians. And her dad was like one of those cops who would like go into gay bars and like arrest people for being gay. Wow. Well, I know. And then my, my mother grew up in Great Neck, Long Island, mm. which is like, you know, it's, it's, it's a bougie place. It's where the Great Gatsby okay. takes place. West yeah, yeah, yeah. Egg is, is Great Neck. Okay. Um, and right. so her sleepaway camp probably did have like fencing. And stuff. Mm. Boy Camp did not have fencing. Let me tell you, <laughs> there was like arts and crafts, and they're like, okay, I'll go jump in the water a little bit, I guess. Yeah. And we're gonna pray before we eat, and I was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yikes. And when I tried to not, I got in trouble. Anyway, yeah. So my my parents, there was like no way they were not gonna like when I was like, I want to go to camp. They were like, yeah. Oh, but I had you know you know I had a queer experience at camp. <laughs> well, um, like I didn't go to camp, so for me. It was like, this is camp. Oh, because we're talking about the bouginess. Sorry. Yeah, because even though it's a bougie camp to pe people who have been to camps, I was like, what a rundown. Like, like, cause they make it look like it's just an idea of camp. And yeah. I was like, this seems like a cool camp. And it has an isolation cabin. Is that a no, not at my camp anyway. But like, again, you can tell this camp is bougie because there were like, beyond just like the t-shirts that like, cause like we got t-shirts at Camp Loeco, mm -hmm. but they were not good t-shirts. But it's like, this camp has like all this like merch and like the girls yeah, shirts and like a sweatshirt and hats. And I was like, holy shit, this camp has <laughs> so much money. And like, there's like a lawn and fences. It's not just like in the woods. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's not like sap all over everything. Also, something I noticed during my recent rewatch is that that camp counselor is Janice from Friends. Yes. yes. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. This yeah. doctor is Janice from Friends, one of the yeah. Marvas. Yes, I love it. Yeah, the Marvas. And also another kinky part I just realized <laughs> is the, the prank where they fill the cabin with like substances. Yeah. Like that girl wakes up with like whipped cream across oh, her yeah. like the bra of whipped cream yeah and she like rubs it and I remember being like uh, no, <laughs> it was the girl with the honey yes she's like yeah. and I was like mm. and then when the water balloon drops like the whole thing is a wet t-shirt contest like yeah. this whole movie well the first half and yeah. then the second half is sexy because it's like so romantic mm -hmm. And as a kid, you're like, oh, I want parents like that. And now you're like, fuck, I want to like fuck. marry either one of these people or Meredith or the hot like nanny housekeeper lady. Okay, let's talk about these two because holy shit. How, I just don't understand how you can write two such gay characters and then be like, these two are going to fall in love now. She is so hot. I think yeah. she's maybe like the hottest person so hot. <laughs> like the name Jessie, her voice, mm. her overall like 
like I strive to be her as a nanny like (laughs) I literally am just like yeah like I'm go with the flow but I'm also stern and like part of your family she yeah she there's like the familiarity was just like yeah Uh, she the fact that she was always making cornbread and chili Mm, I want to eat her cornbread and chili and I mean that both ways (laughs) I would like to eat, yeah, um, yeah, because like both her and Martin, right, who was have been like with these people. I, so I don't really understand like her as a nanny. I'm guessing like perhaps a housekeeper. Yes, I think she. I mean, she's but she's been around since she was a kid. Yeah, but like that that begs the question: What was a because tw- like the parents got married and they were like 26, 24. Yeah, like what was he? What what was I he? Think- he's just like a single dad and he's like Mm -hmm. California also yeah single dad I mean I'm I'm a nanny like this could feasibly happen to me oh yeah I I hope it does which is that it's so it's like she and Martin like don't know each other but they knew the aftermath of both of their employers like like Trump. Well, because I would assume, like, I would assume if Nick Parker like ne- needed to hire someone to help him take care of this baby, that he was going to explain like, oh yeah, so like I got impulsively married on this boat. Well, I thought they've been out. like drinking wine together, like late night, oh. or like like she puts the kid to bed or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. and he, they you know he's like, have some of this wine that I make. <laughs> and the reason they don't get together is because she's a lesbian. Like, <laughs> to be it right because, yeah, because otherwise why would you not get with nick parker Ugh, jesus christ why is every every adult in this movie is just gorgeous and also she's the first one to be like annie yeah she gets it <laughs> she gets it immediately like the first day yeah like from the get-go from the moment that the dog doesn't like her and the moment yes. that she's not like chowing down on the cornbread and chili she's like something's up <laughs> <laughs> she knows innately yeah. because women um are just intuitive better (laughs) well like I just was okay you'll probably have to cut this out but I was just listening to a podcast about a family annihilator and I was like the response when a man kills his family and when a mom kills her family is so much different because mothers are supposed to just like Mm. they would die for their children so like Munchausen's by proxy is like so evil because of that and I do think there's like, like I've heard mothers be like, yeah, I'd let my husband like die in a house fire and I would save my kids. Yeah. Which like, yeah. I'm not saying that dads don't do that, but it's. Oh, it makes no. me think that Nick Parker had to have come up with this scenario in which like they are like, I just kind of, and it does kind of boggle my mind that like these people were like, okay, yeah, like I'm going to take one kid and you take the other kid and I'm just going to pretend like I don't have another kid yeah. somewhere and I'm just going to love one child. I like, I just don't feel like there's enough rage. No, so much because watching it now, I'm like, oh, if I had kids, like, it's like when you watch the dollhouse and you're like, she wouldn't leave her kids. Like she wouldn't. I mean, people do, but like people do, but this particular character, when you have to like, like her so much, I'm like, she a bad, like, and what dad, like my biological dad didn't pay child support for 10 years. And like, they were like, you can see your daughter. You just have to go to like counseling. And he was like, nah. And so I'm like, I don't believe that this dad. Oh no. Takes the whole kid. And it's like, I will support this girl. Also, I think it would be different if it was a boy. Right. 
yeah, like it really is a very fantastical movie. Yeah, like totally. Because like I don't believe that from either parent who like both like love and support their the exactly. one child that they chose so much that they're just gonna be like, oh yeah, and I have this other kid that I just don't. I don't ever see. I know. And then they like, and then there's just like no hard feelings when they all get back together. It's like, no, you all need to go to therapy together. Because like, if I was Hallie or Annie, say I was Annie and like, I'm spending time with my dad. I'm like, why don't you miss your other kid? I wouldn't be asking questions about the mom. I'd be like, so this other kid that you have, like, do you love them? Do you miss them? I'd be furious. Well, and I think the trauma that comes from denying a sibling, like, I don't know anything about about that bond, but it seems like a pretty intense thing. I mean, maybe that's why they're so mad at each other when they first meet each other is because they can't yeah. like handle the fact that like, oh, like I've been denied this person. And like, yeah, then yeah that's like, an insane part. Insane. Like I truly like watching it now. I'm like, yeah, you just kind of have to suspend your disbelief <laughs> about some things. And like, just ugh, like, I just wish there was like, a, just a little bit of acknowledgement from the parents being like, I thought about you every day. I thought about getting in touch. Like what kind of legal stuff happened for this you agreement? Know, to take place? There, there's going to be like a woke quote, woke <sighs> reboot of this where it is two men are like the butlers or two women probably not it'll probably be two white men and the parents do have this talk and it ruins the like yeah. you know like I'm like we can just like this weird movie yeah like, no totally I'm just I'm, I'm not saying like again I think you hit no, no. on the head when you're like this is yeah. a fantastical movie yeah like I want to I want to pick it apart mm. because it's so fun it's like <laughs> you watch it now you're just like what but the whole hotel scene where they're all like running from each other and oh, stuff. Wow. <laughs> it's a, it's like a, a Neil Simon play. Yes, exactly. Very like the elevator doors closing and, and Nick having the like cut and being like, I just can't believe you're here to the mom. Like he loves her and she's oh, drunk. Immediately. Like, oh, she's drunk. Oh my God. So the mom proud. being drunk ended my life. I was just, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Natasha Richardson, first of all, rest in peace. Oh my God. What a beautiful actor and what a beautiful woman. Just, God, just, first of all, I was like watching that, this movie and I'm like, oh, my haircut feels represented. <laughs> I just want to like, first of all, I know I'm aware of it. No, you do look like her. Yes. I was like, oh, I look like her. She oh, kind of has like, it's, it's like, this movie, what, came out in like 97? Yeah, the year yeah. I was born. Oh, yeah. So, like, she had that um, Princess Diana haircut. Mm -hmm. Which, like, I guess. And she's so Princess Diana. Like, oh, she just, like, wears white all the time. And you were and robbed of the Natasha Richardson Princess Diana biopic, is what oh. I was trying to say. It's like, God, she would have been so good. Yeah. Um, I, anyway, so, but, yeah, my haircut felt represented. Mm -hmm. that scene where they're trying on wedding dresses like she's like doing the wedding dress photo shoot and just falling in love with her mom oh something I wanted to come back to with the with the gay nanny and butler is that they have kind of a heated sexy moment that always made me uncomfortable when I was watching with my family which is when they're serving them at dinner and they're like okay now let's go serve the soup or whatever and then they're like mm -hmm. in that tight little closet and they're like <sighs> they're panting yeah it's not aesthetically pleasing because he's like so tall and thin and he is not attractive like she's so hot it's just not believable even if they are straight <laughs> just like, cinematically it doesn't look good no, no. yeah 
I agree. It was just so odd to like recognize, especially like growing up with gay parents. So like look at Chessie who feels so similar to my stepmom. Yeah. And be like, oh, I guess these two are gonna get together. And he's like in his Speedo when they first meet. And I'm like, oh, oh no, Ed, like in the 90s. And I guess he's like European. And that's yeah, kind he's of like, like European, but he's but gay. Like he's gay. Queer coded. And I think so they did that on purpose. And then I think someone just was like, you know what would really tie it up? Like everyone has to get married. <laughs> so weird. It felt very Shakespearean in that way where it's kind of like, okay, like this is a comedy. It's going to end in weddings. Right. Like, these two are going to whatever. But I mean, a lot just, of this feels like kind of a Shakespeare, like twin play. No, it, yes, it super does. And the moment when I just don't think they can coexist believably when Nick Parker falls into a pool at the sight of this like woman that he loves and then he's speechless and she has to like get drunk, which she never does to even deal with like the possibility of seeing him and she knows she's going to see him and he has no idea. Yes, it is Shakespearean and it's so lovely. And like, L is for the way you look at me. Such uh, a good that's first song in the last, this soundtrack fucking slaps. Yes. We- yeah. And if we do the reading, <laughs> we do want to do, somehow we have to incorporate the soundtrack because it is really iconic and good. Yeah. Because it starts with L, from the way you look at me, and then ends with Everlasting Love. Oh, What an incredible just like bookend of this movie. Movies made in the 90s were just better. Like, fact. And the early 2000s, yes. But this um, trend of kind of basing things on like Austin novels or Shakespeare plays was so pleasing. Hmm. I I think they were just like, this is like a reason something is a classic. And yeah. And I would say most of the reasons that people read Emma is Mm. because they like Clueless and they find out, oh, this is based on, oh, okay. Did you see the new Emma? I didn't like it. No, I'm not a big fan of Emma and I'm not a big fan of Clueless actually. Oh, fascinating. I used to be, but I just rewatched it and was like, I don't like this. (laughs) Really? I watched it. I watched it (laughs) the other day. So for, for purposes of our, of our company and like, oh, this is like a hysterical movie. I had such a (laughs) I just, I think it's because I also rewatched 10 Things I Hate About You. And I just like, this is such a good adaptation without making it too like on the nose, which I don't think Clueless does necessarily, but I mean, also I'm from Seattle, so I So yeah, you're biased. I highly encourage you to watch Get Over It because (laughs) it is in the, it's it's one of those adaptations that's Midsummer Night's Dream, Kirsten Dunst is there. Oh, there's the an actor who's famous, who's funny, plays the drama teacher. Ooh, we I love quote this, I quote this movie, particularly that character, all the time, and people have no idea Ooh. what I'm talking about. All these movies have a staple teacher. Oh yeah, we love it. I, mean, I think we'll 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 talk. Yeah, but, um, this is the juvenilia conversation. This is juvenilia. I mean, the podcast is technically under the juvenilia umbrella. Well, sure, there you go. Because I'm thinking about Easy A now and how they make fun of those movies. Yes. It's so masterfully done. Like, we just need, it's been a long while since we had like a teen girl movie in the vein of like Juno or Easy A, like a sardonic. Yes, yes. An an internal look. I I guess their Lady Bird happened not too long ago. But like, it just feels a little bit older than what I want. Right, yes. I and that was like a little too close to where I am now. And exactly. And it wasn't like a comedy. There were funny moments, but like, in funny moments. again, a, a painful way. Yeah. Yes. 
but we yeah. are doing PMP. Like that's not negotiable. We're kicking off our season with PMP. Uh, that was actually my second in line for sexual experiences, <laughs> but <laughs> I will run out of friends eventually. And we're going to have to circle back through <laughs> just the fucking corsets, dude. Um, okay. So I, we have to talk about Meredith. Yes. Because yeah, you're right. You totally villainize her as a child and then you grow up and you're like, Oh, I like, Meredith. <laughs> yeah. I just went on a hike with Ryan and I was like, I feel so like deja vu. And then I looked down and I was wearing bike shorts ah! with my glasses on my head and like a little ponytail. And I was like, oh my God, I'm Meredith from the Parrot Trap. Like I'm living 90s hotness. She was so hot. So hot. And just like, again, like I've already like stated the reasons I actually don't think she's a villain. And like, if I was in her position, I'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm going to marry this guy. Holy shit. But like, he has like every reason to fall for her too. Like she was a very mature 26. Like, mm -hmm. like I am not as mature as Meredith is like, and she has this like cool PR job in San Francisco. She's also just very in command of herself. Yes. And I think a lot of the villainy comes from like jealousy. Like she knows how to look her best like when she like does her little hair flick oh. i'm just like she knows and i think both as a, an audience member as an and as an actor i'm like how do you do that she's been in a few things that i really like yeah. she like started on friends and on that okay. movie with mary Catherine gallagher superstar where she plays the will ferrell's girlfriend have you seen superstar no i wasn't allowed to watch will ferrell movies <laughs> i think you should watch superstar that's actually a really funny one that I was thinking of doing also. Um, I'll watch it again because like, so I've been like watching a bunch of movies that I've been thinking about and some of them do not hold up and I refuse to do. And some of them I'm going to have to like, I want to do, but I need to tweak a few things because the girl plays Meredith is in Superstar and she plays like the popular girl and like her first line in the movie, because <laughs> she's like, uh, Molly Shannon is like looking at her and she's like, oh yeah, like, like all the boys like her probably because she has a really nice body. And so she's like looking at, her boobs and then the girl looks at her and goes what are you looking at boob sweat <laughs> and I'm like oh my god that's hilarious <laughs> just the quintessential mean girl quintessential mean girl she's, you know so she's better than you <laughs> like and she is she has the perfect face she's like yeah, I can't contest it no of course not perfect she's so funny she's like and I just I love actors like that like of who like I think like um who's that girl who's in what hot American summer like Elizabeth Smart or something oh my god Elizabeth like, Smart is the name of that girl who got kidnapped uh, <laughs> it's okay she was she was alive I mean she's traumatized but at least she didn't die she's not an actor who is beautiful and funny is who I'm trying to say she's like blonde Elizabeth Banks yes uh, yeah. Elizabeth Banks beautiful funny <laughs> Not Elizabeth Smart, not the girl who got kidnapped. I'm gonna have to cut that out. That's embarrassing for me. I think it's so, I'm, the only reason I know is because I wrote my high school big paper on sex education and mm. she was taught that when you- The chewed up piece of gum. Yeah, exactly. That's the quote I used. Like you're, you're a piece of gum and if you have sex, you're all chewed up and no one wants you. Because she returned from this horrible traumatizing experience and was like, I'm even more traumatized because of the religious education I received. Because I'm a cute up piece of gum. <laughs> so she's amazing and a hero. Um, but yeah, Meredith is so hot and I really aspire to look like her. 
Yeah. But with thicker eyebrows. She's so well-groomed. Like, she's so well-groomed. And her, she's like, her, she's so toned. She has like, oh my God. That yoga bod. So hot. And here's the thing. They get mad at her because, you know, they go hiking and she's like, I'm tired and stuff. And I'm like, she clearly works out. She's not an outdoor person. No, like, she has that line where she's like, I'm going to kill my trainer. He says, I'm in such great shape. It's like, girl, you are. <laughs> you look great. Well, I was just talking to my gym lady about this, but she was like, um, she was like a bodybuilder can't run a mile. Like we all have different, uh-huh. which is so true for Meredith. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, we are pro Meredith in this household, but also like kind of a little bit ridiculous of her to be like, it's me or them. It's like, don't ask. Oh, yeah. that. Like, I think what happened is he met her while his kid was away at camp yeah, and he's like, oh. and, and I think he had like avoided the situation. I think he downplayed her importance to him and I don't think he he I think he did it like subconsciously but I they didn't like write letters to each other all summer and stuff like that so I think he just and I think he could sense that she wasn't into it and he was like when she meets her she'll love her so I'm just gonna avoid this situation and not communicate about it yeah and then when my daughter comes only it's the wrong daughter wrong daughter yeah see I think I see a world I think you're absolutely right I think a couple things Nick Parker has had a child since he was in his mid-20s so he's he's been a single dad this whole time and according to the daughter never really dated so yeah the daughter's away and so it's his first time kind of being a single guy meets this hot woman who's into him so like naturally he's into that and I think in a world where Hallie did not meet her sister and find this information out. I think there's a world where she meets Meredith and likes Meredith and actually they can get along. And she's like, oh, I have a lot to learn from this lady. She can teach me a lot about being a woman in this world. And I just think the situation, the odds were gonna be stacked against Meredith. Yes, I think it's definitely plot-based because it's like I was saying when you have that parent it's different but like for me I was like I feel no animosity towards this man because I don't have like a dad to compare him to so yeah I think if she hadn't known that her mother's this super amazing English superstar woman then because what did they tell each other I think they said that the other parent like died or something yeah I think the implication they do talk about what they told what each yeah. parent told them. They just don't talk about them. They just say like they evaporated into thin air. But each parent kept that half of the photograph and like in a safe, safe, like safe, secret place. God, the nineties. Oh, <laughs> the nineties. What a time. Time. Yeah, but I think also Meredith is such a villain because everyone in the movie is so nice. Mm. Like I think I part of the reason it's so fantastical is. The mother's dad, the nice, sweet old grandpa, seems to have no problem with splitting the grandchildren up. Oh, yeah. And like both the help are so nice and compliant and a part yeah, of the family. All very supportive of this situation. Yeah. And again, there's no like ever, there's never a moment where, you, where, a parent, where the parent is like, I cannot believe that you have done this. <laughs> like, they're always like, oh, that's fine. Like, I guess like, I can't imagine a world in which that situation goes down where there's not yelling. And maybe that's just my background, but like. (laughs) Well, and the mom is immediately like, wow, she seems like a lovely lady. You should marry her. I know, leggy, barebacked Beyonce. (laughs) I know. And it's weird because I think a lot of the animosity towards Meredith seems to be because she's rich. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys are rich. Oh, rich in this movie. There's a lot of wealth going around. 
yeah london and san francisco the two most expensive cities in the world okay yeah. and their daughters yeah, are wearing kimonos and stuff and then they book a fucking entire cruise ship to 11 year olds unbelievable <laughs> high fantasy here <laughs> uh, emily we do have to start wrapping up i have two questions for you okay. my first one being did you ever receive the talk <laughs> um yes oh what was that like um, so my family really liked watching the show, Everybody Hates Chris. Oh my God. <laughs> and they did the sex talk on that show. Uh -huh. And I was like, what is this about? <laughs> and that's why I got the sex talk. But then I think I blocked it out. So I had to have the sex talk multiple times because I just kept forgetting. Emily. <laughs> I was such a late bloomer what a, what a time and as was that was your first talk before or after you threw up watching the parent trap <laughs> it was after much after <laughs> yeah so that was a connect the dots kind of moment well that's why i didn't connect until much later that mm -hmm. it bothered me in that way i just uh, thought like oh i'm just so bothered by bullying <laughs> well, it might also be that but <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, so I got the talk several times. Multiple times. It didn't really sink in for a while. <laughs> well, you were raised in a Christian household, is what you said. Yeah, and um, actually my parents were pretty good. Um, it was my grandparents more who were like, save yourself till you get married and abstinence and all this stuff. And my mom kind of backed that, but it was more because she had several really bad experiences including my biological dad. So she was kind of more just like, make sure this person is like 100% invested in you. <laughs> and I just didn't connect sex as like a way to do that. Like, I didn't really look at people and be like, I want to kiss them or anything like, and yeah, I wouldn't say it was a very comprehensive sex education. <laughs> Especially in my school, I like raised my hand and was like, what do you do if you love the person ah! who has and AIDS? Like, cause they villainized it so much. Oh, yeah. And I was like, but what if you're in a committed relationship? And they were like, I guess just wear a condom every time. And I was like, you guess? Like, how is this gonna come up? Oh, I, I think a lot about, yeah, that that kind of talk talk about STIs in sex education in growing up was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't very uh, positive. And I, most of the people I know who are sexually active have had a, at least like one STI. Yeah. Like we well, do talk about, how really common it is and I know like and it's stigmatized it is and my mom told me when I was much older she was like when you were a baby I had you tested for all of the things you can get through birth because I had so many I won't say non-consensual but she was just very young mm -hmm. so some very bad uh bad times well, I will say non-consensual because if you don't share all the information that is non-consensual yeah and so she was worried and as far as I know, I don't have HIV, but- um, You would know. <laughs> I would know, yeah. I Well, I babysat actually a baby that had been recently adopted and she had HIV, she was born with it. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you don't need to worry unless she gets an open cut and the blood comes into an open cut of yours. A very specific situation. Well, as it happened, she did get cut that night. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, this is the one thing, but- the one thing. But they were really good about it. They had gloves everywhere. They were like, if this happens, here's what you do. And I was like, this is good. And it didn't feel, I mean, it was a white family with an African child they had adopted and they were very Christian. Uh, Whole other um, enchilada. But anyway, yes, that was my experience. And Amazing. 
that's great. My last question for you as we wrap up is Emily, did that do it for you? <laughs> uh, yes, eventually, once I understood it. I don't know, I meant this podcast. Oh! <laughs> no, it was horrible, horrible time. That's what that sounded like. Yes, this super did it for me. I'm gonna go rev up my vibrator. Amazing, awesome, <laughs> incredible. Here we go. Well, that did it for me. Hope that did it for you. Thank you so much for listening. That Do It For You is hosted and edited by Aurelia Grierson to the best of their ability. It is produced by Dante Tapo and Chandler Parrott-Thomas. Eleanor Hobson is our media and marketing manager. Our theme song is by Eric Solis, and our visual design is by Margaret Chambers. That Do It For You is a sex-positive podcast with naughty words and mentions of characters I do not own. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at That Do It For You. Be sure to tell your friends about us, rate and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, and if you're interested in becoming a monthly donor, you can go to patreon.com slash that do it for you pod to join our horny little community.